as I was kind of looking to the Lord this morning to ask what direction to go or what what um, to talk about this morning, I kind of had something come to my mind that I it it may be hard to put into words, but I'm trying to trying to be just kind of faithful to what I feel to be the most living thing in my in my heart um, these mornings and and not try to really speak outside of what I feel to be kind of alive in me at this moment. And the thing I was feeling this morning has to do with, well, ultimately it has to do with clinging, clinging to the Lord or following him out, um, kind of a still along the lines of the things we've been talking about in the, in the last number of weeks. I still feel really kind of bound in my heart for some reason to stick really close to to that whole reality of walking with the Lord and um, in, in a real practical way talking about things that have to do with that, kind of circling around it and maybe repeating myself um, we from time to time, but ho- hoping that as we talk about these things and continue to um, just look at it from different angles and look at different scriptures that the whole reality of walking with the Lord and staying with the Lord and clinging to the Lord and staying under the cross and in the light and in the covenant and all these different uh, terms and realities we've talked about will become more <laughs> real and more important to us. I, I oftentimes think about uh, these times of sharing together as just... Um, uh, more or less trying to create an environment where our hearts are looking at one thing and the Lord has the, hopefully, the opportunity and the space in our hearts uh, to um, to make these things more than just words. That's what, that's what I really want to have happening. And I was thinking about sin and thinking about it as the as the scripture presents it to us in a number of pictures i was kind of picturing it if you can imagine this i thought about actually drawing something on a whiteboard but i didn't know i didn't have a whiteboard and um didn't know if that would work too good for the recording or anything like that but just kind of picture like a big circle and and, and that circle represents um, a condition that man has come into, fallen into, that he can't get out of. And in some ways, in one of uh, in Terstegan's book that some of us have read, he, he one time talks about, I can't remember exactly the context, but he talks about the natural man kind of being like a fish in the sea. And he says that the freedom that the fish had, he can go anywhere he wants in the sea. He's, he's completely free to choose any, any place he wants to go in the ocean, but he can't come out of the ocean. And in a real uh, similar way, man too has fallen into something that's kind of like an ocean. He's fallen into a condition, into a, into a condition like the sea where he can, he can do what he wants inside the boundaries of that place, that circle. 
But what he can't do is come out of it. He's always going to be like that fish in the water that has no has freedom within the realm in which he has freedom, but has no freedom to leave that realm. And and that ocean or that circle is sin. And what and when we think of sin, we've talked about this I'm sure many times, but let me just say again, don't think just about, I don't even think primarily about um, the the things that are done that are wrong. Because sin is certainly a bunch of, sin is certainly things that are wrong, things that are done that are wrong. But bigger than that, sin is, is something that, it's, it's something that God has made. It's a creation, some aspect of creation that God has made that is no longer living in and living by the life and nature of the Creator. Okay, that is what, when you think about sin, think about something living in God's creation that's no longer living by the life of God. It's there, he created it, but it's functioning, living, operating, thinking, moving, willing, desiring, acting apart from the life and will of the creator. And that's really, that's the condition into which man has, has come. He began to live when man fell into sin. It wasn't just that he contracted a bad habit. What he did is he lost the only thing in him that was moving in him, living in him, that was righteous, that was good. There's not two sources of righteousness. One can come from God and another can come from something else. There's only one source of righteousness, one source of wisdom, one source of truth, one source of life. And when man lost that, he, he became something that continued living because it was a creation of God. But he, but he continued living in a condition where he, could no, he had no longer access to the only, the only thing that could make him good and could make him clean, and could make him righteous. You see what I'm saying? He became like a fish in the sea. He continued to swim around, and he had freedom to move in the realm in which he, had, he, could, he could live. But everything about that realm, so long to the extent that it was able to, to live and move and think and desire and will and act apart from God, everything that it did lacked the only thing that could possibly make it good. And that's what sin is. That's what sin comes from. And so whenever any person... Um, hold on, let me just mute some people here. There we go. Um, whenever any person or any fallen spirit, any fallen angel lives or speaks or wills apart from the life and will and nature and goodness and life and wisdom of God, that is <coughs> sin. It's sin not just because it's on a list of bad things you're not supposed to do. It's sin because it's the creation. It's, it's, a, part, it's a creature. It's something that God made acting and living without goodness without righteousness, without purity. It's, it's man living 
as a source of himself, speaking out from his own source. There's a verse in John uh, 8 where Jesus is talking about Satan. And the same thing, I think, can be said of uh, a fallen man too. But it says, it says of Satan that when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. That's that actually that word resources isn't even in there. It's in it's in italics here because it's been added, and I think it makes sense. But really, what it what it actually says in in the in the Greek it says when he speaks a lie, he speaks out from his own. And and the same thing could be said about everything that doesn't speak out from God, from the life of God, from the Spirit of God, from the goodness of God, and that's why. It, Paul says in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 14, that everything that is not of faith is sin. Because faith is how man receives and and lives in and walks in and speaks from that which comes from God. I hope you can kind of see the, the bigness of what sin is. God created everything perfect. He created everything in a condition where it was, according to its ability and its capacity, it was receiving something from God, and it was, uh, in in a whole bunch of different ways, expressing, manifesting, communicating, uh, becoming a showcase for the goodness and the righteousness and the purity and the wisdom of God in so many different ways and virtues and colors and, diff- and everything that, that makes anything good, it comes from God. It comes down from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes down first. It doesn't start below. If it starts below, then it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's what, that's what James says there about wisdom. There's a wisdom from above. There's a wisdom from below. There's a faith from above. There's a faith which is just human belief from below. There's a love from above. There's a love from below. One of those is sin, not because, again, not because it's just uh, on, a, on a list of, of wrong things that, that the law is against. It's sin because it lacks the only thing in it that could possibly make it good. It lacks goodness, and it can only act from its own resources. It can only act from what the scriptures call self. Now that's what's wrong with self. Self isn't, isn't bad just because it's selfish. Self is, is selfish because it's bad. <laughs> if you can see what I mean by that. Self is bad because it, it not, it, when, when you think about self, you usually think of, well, it's because I just want this for myself. And, and that's true and that's wrong. But the reason that it's that way is because it can't be any other way. And that's why God says in in the beginning, as soon as man fell, he said, every thought and intent of man's heart is only evil all the time. It seems like such, that, that, that statement about fallen man seems like, almost like an exaggeration. But it's not an exaggeration because all that that statement is saying is that man, apart from God, cannot produce goodness. That's all that that's saying. Man, apart from God, cannot be the source of goodness. And if man lives as part of God's creation, as a creature here, 
apart from the thing that God gives him to live in and walk in, which is from God, then everything that man does will be an expression of his own resources and is called sin. And so selfishness is not an option for the natural man. It's just what the natural man is. And so long as we are living in the flesh, this is why the scriptures say in, in so many different places, and I'm thinking of Romans 8 right now, that, that the, fle- the natural man is enmity with God. It doesn't just say he does occasional things that are, uh, that are enmity with God. He says, it says he is enmity with God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the natural man is darkness. Formerly you were darkness. You didn't just have a few dark thoughts. What you were was an absence of light. That's what that's sin. You see? That's why the natural man can't know the things of God by himself. Why not? Because he needs to receive the knowledge of God that comes down from above. That's why the natural man cannot produce righteousness. That's why Cain cannot produce an offering. The first birth cannot produce an offering that God accepts. For the very simple reason that it's not in him to do so. It's not in him to do so. And that's why also denying self, which is what Jesus tells us to do, doesn't make any sense until there are two things present in man. Because the only way to deny self is to cling to something that doesn't come from self. I let that kind of sink into your heart a little bit because that's, that is, um, that's the only reason why Jesus can tell us to deny self and to follow him. It's because something that isn't self has come into man and has offered itself as something that man can cling to and come out of that condition. Now, if man dies in that condition of being a creature that lives apart from the light and life and grace and power and truth of God that comes to man, then that's called dying in your sins. <coughs> dying in your sins. That's why Jesus said to the Jews, he said, listen, if you don't believe in me, then you will die in your sins. You won't pass from death to life. You'll stay in death. You're already in death, but you'll stay there. John the Baptist says something really similar in John chapter 3. He says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's already on him in that condition where he's contrary to God. But it's going to stay on him unless he follows the Son of God out of that condition. And that's why Jesus says to the Jews again, where I'm going, you can't go. And you'll die. If you don't believe, you will die where you already are. You'll die in that circle. 
You'll die as a fish in the sea that's never come out of the, uh, out of the sea. If you don't follow me out, then, then that's where you'll be. And, and, and that's why Christ comes in. But, but it's, when you die in your sins, it's not that you need to go to really another place. It's that you are just remaining where you've been. And, and now when you die, with, without an outward body, obviously, without the, without the outward pleasures and distractions of a natural world with natural goodness that are shadows of spiritual goodness, you don't really need to go anywhere. You just need to stay where you've been, which is in a condition of being a creature that is, has only ever lived and acted and spoken according to his own resources. <clears throat> Satan is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. And the reason he's a liar is because when he speaks, he speaks out from his own. The same thing can be said of all of us <clears throat> in the same way and for the same reason. And so, again, this is the reason why Jesus came. He didn't, came, he didn't come to give you true doctrines. He didn't come, come to just set up a, a, a religion. He came to uh, give man a way to come out of that circle. And, and, and the way that, that he did it, and this has become just so clear, more clear to me recently and so important to understand, is the way that Jesus did it is by coming into that condition. There was no, there was no way to call, to call us out of that condition without him coming into it. Can you see that? Because... He could stand on the outside of that circle and call us out, but what power did we have to leave it? What power does a fish have to leave the ocean? What strength, what ability, what wisdom, what anything would we have to actually come out? We have nothing. No ability at all in ourselves, our resources. And so in order to actually make a way See, see, that's why it's why Christianity isn't just believe this doctrine and you're okay. No, it's not just follow this outward law and you're okay. No, he's God needs to come in. He needs to come in and he needs to uni- unite himself with man in that condition, and then he needs to come out attached to man, so that man. B- Clinging to him can actually, by his power and by his spirit and by his way that he opened, come out with him. Now, see, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God entered that condition. God was manifest in the flesh. God dove into the sea and became a fish, so to speak. And nothing would have ever changed if something from above didn't come down and enter into and unite with that condition 
so that anyone and everyone who was willing to leave that condition and unite with that which came down could come out. This is called the incarnation, the incarnation of, of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And it's important, I think, I know this may sound a little bit unusual, but it's important that we think about the incarnation, I think, both outwardly and inwardly, because Jesus didn't just come and unite himself to his own body as a man that was born of the Virgin Mary. He did do that, obviously, and he did that so that he could become a man and create that way, so that he could enter into the condition of man and make a way out of it, and become the lamb, and become the sacrifice. But it's also true that he joins us by, by uniting himself or entering into us inwardly. He enters in, he joins himself with man in a general sense through his outward incarnation, but he also joins himself to man inwardly in every one of our hearts. He joins his spirit to man here too. And he does that again in order to make a way for us. Because if, if Jesus just came outwardly as a man and only outwardly, it only affected his own outward fulfilling of the law and his own outward obedience to the Father and his own in his own individual being outwardly from us his own death, his own burial, his own resurrection, his own ascension and return to the Father, then what would that accomplish for us? If it was only an incarnation that had to do with his body, that that wouldn't actually save us. But if that same Jesus, united by his universal spirit, also entered into us, and offers a way for us to follow him in that same way by clinging to that gift he gave us, then every single one of us that clings to that gift can follow him out. Now, I I appeal to you that this is exactly the story that uh, we see all throughout Scripture that God has given us, in the story of Exodus, the Exodus, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Jericho, the story of of, uh, Abraham in the beginning, God finds man in a condition that he cannot leave under the power of Pharaoh, under the bondage of, of slavery. And in order to... In order to get us out, he first has to come in. So in comes Moses and Aaron. In comes the two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah. In comes the two spies into Jericho. They come in first. And what do they do when they come in? Well, they first manifest judgment against the evil of the place that they come into. That's what they do first. They first start shaking up things and showing that God's wrath, God's judgment is against it. 
And then they declare that it cannot stand. God's people can't remain in it and be saved. They have to come out of it. That is, that place is for judgment. That life is for judgment. And then he makes a way out of it. And he makes a way out of it by opening a door and allowing everyone who will cling to the one who came in, they can come out. This is so, this, the, the pictures of this are really, really beautiful um, <clears throat> in, in several of these stories. And I won't get into the details of them, but the one, I, the one that's on my mind right now is just the, the one about how uh, Sodom, in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his wife and family um, hesitate. They 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 don't they don't they're waiting for the the son-in-laws to want to join or or whatever it is, and and the angel is is wanting them to come out, and they don't they don't they want to, but they kind of don't want to, and he grabs them by the hand and says, "Come on out," and and pulls them. You know, doesn't force them, but gives them a tug in that direction, and and that's what the Lord. Is doing. That's what the that's what the uh, incarnation is about. It's about God entering into the condition of man to grab our hand and giving us an ability and a an opportunity. Every single person by by putting a measure of that same incarnate Jesus Christ into our hearts giving every single person, even to the people who haven't heard of the outward appearing of Christ outwardly in the flesh, still pouring out his spirit on all flesh and giving all men an opportunity to unite in their heart to that grace that appears to cling to him. Now, you can't really cling to the outward Jesus and come out. In fact, there's a there's a scripture. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if you've ever noticed uh, noticed it or thought much about it. It's in it's in uh, John twenty, I think. So this is when Jesus appears to to Mary um, in the garden. He says, "Woman, why are you weeping?" This is after he rose from the dead. She said, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, standing there and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him, uh, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. That's just always been an interesting thing to me, that she clung to him outwardly. And he said, don't cling to me yet. A time is coming real soon when you can cling to me but but now's not now's not that time that that outward body was the body that was prepared 
for him to do the will of God in, as it says in Hebrews. A body you have prepared for me. I come to do your will. But clinging to that outward body, whether it's outward physically like Mary does or just believing in in that outward body or that outward coming, isn't the way to actually come out. There's a different kind of clinging that Jesus was talking about. When, When he ascended and poured out his spirit, then was the time to cling to the one who came in. And that clinging would begin her journey out. How am I doing on time? Um, so maybe just say a couple things about that. What, what does it mean? What is this clinging uh, that we're talking about? Well, as we've talked about in different ways and I think demonstrated in a bunch of different parables and a a bunch of different verses in the New Testament, God God unites himself. He comes in. He doesn't just come to Israel as a man. He comes to you. He doesn't just come to the outward city of Egypt in in, in the person of Moses or the outward city of Sodom in the the person of an angel. He comes to you. He comes to your Sodom comes to your Egypt and he comes and he puts something in you as Philippians says that you find in you both willing and doing his good pleasure that's what he does there's something in man that that you feel willing and doing his good pleasure and the heart can unite to it in the light, in the day of his power. This is, I talked about this a little bit recently on my, one of my blog posts, I think, but, well, I won't go there, but in, in Psalm 110, it says, your people will be volunteers, will, will voluntarily join you in the day of your power. When that day begins to dawn in our heart, we can volunteer. We can unite our will. We can join ourselves with him. And the heart is given ability then in the light, when the light shines, to cling. What is that clinging? I don't know how to say it perfectly. It's a a uniting of our will. It's saying yes. It's turning our back on Egypt, on Sodom, on Jericho, and coming out it's, it's coming out and joining unto him. And the heart of man doesn't really even need to understand what that means. It doesn't need to understand uh, the journey. It doesn't need to understand that direction. It doesn't, it doesn't get a map. It doesn't have to follow a map. It's given at that point, it's given a guide. And, and everything depends upon the careful clinging to that guide with the heart and the will fixed in one direction. And, and if I had, you know, maybe, maybe next week I, I could say a little bit more about this. I have, I have some thoughts just about how important it is to continue <clears throat> in that one direction. Because it's only by a continuing in that direction with the heart maintaining, uh, maintaining that direction, the will joined to the Lord, walking in that way, in that course, 
staying that course, running that race, walking in that direction, fixing our eyes, uh, looking straight ahead, having a single eye that's walking in that direction. That's the way that we continually come out. That's the way out of the ocean. It's by, it's by clinging and looking and walking forward. But if you look back, then you, you, you become the thing that you... And, and that looking back, see, this is the story of, of Lot's wife. Lot's wife looked back. But, but don't think about that as just a curious glance over the shoulder. I don't think that that's what we're meant to see there. I think we're meant to see in that looking back, the will turning back towards that which we came out from. That's what you see in the story of the Exodus over and over again. The people grumbled against the way. They grumbled against the leader. Their will turned back. They longed for it. They wanted to go back. At one point in Numbers, they say, let us appoint a leader, a new leader that will bring us back to Egypt. That, that's what I think looking back is. It's the will deciding, not, not necessarily in words, but in a desire, in, a, in, a, in an agreement to go back to that out of which it has come. And if you do that, you will, like Lot's wife, become the thing you turn back to. You'll become, she came out, but she suffered the same fate as everyone in there. And that's what happens to us. If we uh, don't stay in that life and power that came in, to bring us out. And this is where I could um, <clears throat> get into a kind of a whole a whole another subject about the importance to, to stay in that which came in to bring us out because that's where justification is experienced and that's where salvation grows. And, and that's, that's where we understand what it means to run this race. It all has to do with not just being visited and invited out, not just starting our, our journey outward, but staying inside that which justifies, staying inside that which forgives sin, staying inside that which uh, is has the power to save. And maybe just to maybe just to mention a couple uh, verses. Well, I think we mentioned some of these last time. Uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, right? Or uh, forgetting. Forgetting what is behind, Paul says in another place, and laying hold of that which is ahead. Or uh, this one in, in 1 Corinthians 15. I think that's where it is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in wit. Now think of the gospel here, not as words, but as that as that power, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. So you're standing in a gospel, in the power that came to, to, to bring you out, by which 
also you are saved if you hold fast that word, that living word, which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. That one sentence has so much in it. It basically has everything in it that I'm, that I'm trying to say. Here comes a word. It's a living word. It comes in as a gospel. It comes in as good news. It comes in on pow- as power from on high to bring out. It offers you a way to cling. It, it, it joins itself to you in, in your condition so that you, by clinging to it, by joining your heart and your will to it, can come out. And if you stay in it, it saves. It is your salvation. It was preached unto you. And you can stand in it. And you have to stand in it. Let me read it again. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word. If you keep clinging to that word, if you stay in that power that justifies, if you walk in that light and stay inside the boundaries of that light, if you keep with him, if you stay close, holding fast that word. There's a, there's a few others. Maybe I'll just mention one more, then I'll stop. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our expectation or hope firm until the end. All right, I think I'm going to stop there.